0: All right, you want hear me? You're going to give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Fantastic. All right, we got a couple of minutes and we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, Lisa, would you do me a solid, if there's people who are coming in through the side door, would you make sure they
1: get in around to the parish hall? Awesome. Thank you.
0: All right, so we are about good for time. Um, somebody do me a favor on the Zoom. Uh, since I didn't hear any of you at all last week, would somebody unmute themselves and talk just a little bit to make sure that you can?
1: Okay, can you
0: hear me? Do it a little bit more, try it now.
1: Okay, can you hear me?
0: Fantastic, could you hear all the of that
1: one? over the catechism you drew scribbly lines all over it okay
0: yeah somebody was doing that let's see oh. Yeah. <laughs> somebody did do that yeah now you're all doing it thank you uh- <laughs> no yeah i can see who's doing it let's see because it named you when you're drawing them. see we had this problem once with the uh the youth group. Um, All right, no more drawing on my screen now.
1: How'd they do that? Okay, I'm going to now that we all know you can hear me, but the point is, how'd they do that? Now I want to know.
0: To annotate. Um, You should have a mark to annotate the the meeting. Uh, You see right at the top of the screen share right there. You can do that, and uh, you can draw all over it. Um, We're not going to do that, though. And if you're on a
1: phone or an iPad, it's under the text. It's a little, almost like animated pencil looking thing.
0: Thank you, Avery. All right. Anybody out there or in person, do you have any questions or anything you'd like to talk about before we get going tonight? All right. We are on paragraph 188 of uh, the fifth commandment. The large catechism, the fifth commandment: "You shall not murder." Uh, what does this mean? This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Uh, so last week we talked a little bit about uh, the vocations that uh, exempt are exempted from this commandment, um, and we we'll talked about then um, sort of the basis for the commandments as the structure. In other words, uh, we start with the the idea that, first of all, God loves you so much that he actually wants to make sure nobody can kill you. So much does God love you that that he purchased your life by his own death. So carry that forward. God doesn't want you to die, so nobody else is allowed to kill you. The reason that we have this commandment is to protect you so that every time I accidentally cut somebody else off on I-35 or maybe even on purpose because I'm a sinner— God would at least put up walls that they would not gun me down for that that particular thing. Um, But at the same time, if this is given them for the protection of people, there's also going to be an enforcement of it. Uh, There are vocations set up. There are callings set up where God would actually uh, further the protection of people. So we have things like soldiers. We have things like police. We have basically the government. The government's job ultimately is to wield the sword. Uh, The government, you you can tell, because was there such a thing as government before the fall? This was the one estate that comes after the fall, which means the only purpose of the government was to deal with the fact that death came into the world. Um, Life was given through the family. Salvation was given through the church. The government is in charge of death. That means that we need things like soldiers. We need things like police officers who are exempted from this commandment, not to kill for themselves, but to kill for the sake of the neighbor. That, that means that when there is um, a, a crazy person who uh, is running around Walmart uh, shooting everything up, we need somebody to come in and help. Um, that, that means that we have soldiers who go out and protect our country from, um, from other, uh, others that would, would infringe upon that which would, would God would have us have. Uh, these are exempted. We're not talking about um, those who have been sanctioned by God to, to take life. We're talking about you, um, because ultimately what we talk about here is anger. Do you have a, a question there, Linda? Go for it so what about people that are sentenced to death by um a jury yeah uh, again this this so the soldier doesn't operate on behalf of themselves that's a mercenary the soldier operates on behalf of the government the police officer doesn't operate on behalf of themselves but but the government and so ultimately all of these things are then tied into yes that that that, that government and so uh, there are places then where um The death penalty is allowed by God, whether or not it's it's always wise is an entirely different discussion for another day. Um, but we can recognize that Yes, God has allowed this thing. Um, And that would be another place where yes that that can be employed. um, To to punish evil and to protect good Good question. Anybody else. All right, Uh, let's keep going then. We're at paragraph 188. Therefore, the entire sum of what it means not to kill is to be impressed most explicitly upon the simple-minded. In the first place, that we harm no one, first with our hand or by deed. Then, we do not employ our tongue to instigate or counsel thereto. Further, we neither use it nor assent to any kind of means or methods whereby anyone may be injured. And finally, that the heart may not be ill-disposed toward anyone, nor from anger and hatred wish him ill, so that body and soul may be innocent in regard to everyone, but especially those who wish you evil or inflict such upon you. For to do evil to one who wishes and does you good is not human, but diabolical. And so when we talk about the fifth commandment then, you find it being played out in in, um, different regards. Sort of the most crass would be just to, to take weapons and, Take the life um, that that we may not with our, our hand or by deed um, end somebody's life, but we can also recognize Words have such power that there's two commandments based on how you use them. And that also means that that words can be used to incite other people To hate other people to to harm other people to to injure uh, When when you use your words to incite this kind of rage out of other people. Um, are you innocent because they are the ones that pulled the trigger. God would say no, because if this commandment is given, then for the protection of neighbors, well, then it, it, we we want to actually maintain then that that they be kept safe. And so, if you're going to run your mouth so that somebody else will do your dirty work for you, that's that's no better than doing it yourself. It, it's just maybe a, a little bit lazier. Um, we also want to continue then to say um, that that we uh, we use no uh, we use, neither use nor assent to any kind of means or methods whereby anyone may be injured. Uh, that that means that. Uh, there are certain things that are just not safe and good for you to do. Uh, not because you're doing it on purpose, but because, well, bad things can happen. So we even start to talk about negligence here. Um, if you're actually supposed to love your neighbor, caring for your neighbor is a part of that, right? Like giving no regard at all to your neighbor so that they might come to harm, that's not better. So so we're actually, if we're supposed to be um, kindly disposed to our neighbor, um, go, to, I, go to drunk driving. Um, nobody gets behind the wheel having too much with the intent to cause harm. But you set yourself up in such a way that this ain't going to go well for at least some way. And so here again, we bring to mind the fifth commandment for the well-being of our neighbor. And then finally um, that the heart would not be disposed to anybody that, that when all of these things are, are rooted in the heart, if you're going to spend all day wishing ill upon people, nothing good is going to come from any of that. And so God says, first, even start with your heart, and recognize that that from the heart is where murder actually comes from, uh, even from the very first one. It, it's uh, with, with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain's face uh, fell. Why? You guys remember this story? What? What are you Why? Why did Cain kill Abel? Because he did. God didn't like his. God didn't like his sacrifice.
1: Sacrifice as much as. His stuff.
0: Yeah. And so we brooded on it for a long time, and um, The irony of irony is the sacrifice was one place where the sins are supposed to be forgiven, where we're actually supposed to be held in high regard for God. And Cain had manipulated things so much that from his heart came such evil that he picked up a rock and he bashed his brother's head in. But that's that's deeper to the point. Um, We've talked before about the sacrifices of Cain and Abel, right? Remember that? Yeah. I I still firmly believe that that the, the murder inside of Cain's heart had a lot to do with his sacrifice in that Everything was of himself. We talked about that, that the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice, at least if you go by the scriptures, wasn't that one really meant it and one didn't. It wasn't that one cheeked out and one didn't. It was what was being offered. The only biblical difference between the sacrifices that Abel offered, remember? Blood. Blood. And that Cain offered the very best that he could do, plants. It wasn't just that, you know, God didn't like farmers. It was that entire, as long as there's been scriptures— there's always been blood to cover sin. Always. From Adam and Eve, that were clothed with skins, from the entire temple system and the entire Old Testament, to Jesus upon the cross, where it all leads up to. It has always been blood that covers sins. And every time we always want to make church about what we can do for God, and not the blood that covers sins, somebody's always going to leave bitter. Because the very best that I can do for God usually ain't much.
1: Even in the satanic cults, that's why they use blood. So drinking I, blood and...
0: Have you noticed um, there's there's anti, uh, well, the devil works against God. And so there are anti-sacraments set up. Every time God does something good, the devil comes along and tries to twist it. And so every time you get to the the satanic cults, the pagan rituals, they always involve um, blood uh, because there's little ears. We'll call it intercourse um, and and what we'll call it um, manner uh, of some sort. But so if the church is about Christ, the bridegroom, and us, the bride, watch the devil pervert it. And so every time you get a pagan religion, there's some kind of intercourse. Every time blood's supposed to cover sin, um, we always want to say, no, how can we abuse this and turn it into magic so we can control something? The devil, every time God builds a church, the devil tries to build a cathedral. He'll try and build something better, but perverse. He'll, he'll twist the thing around. And, and so we'll have the same elements being used in all of these different places. Um, but in all, the, all the while, it, it's the devil trying not simply to, to mock God, but to pull away from God. Because we can recognize by nature there are certain potent things, which is why um, just we come into this world recognizing this. So how many pagan religions have set up these things that are so similar? Because we, we innately recognize there's something potent inside of blood. There, there's something beautiful in, in, inside of marriage. A, and when the devil grabs that, he said, I don't want you to have those things because they all point to Jesus. I'm going to pull you away from them by twisting it so that the road doesn't lead there anymore. I'm going to try to best you. Yeah.
1: I, this is Kevin Raven. I have a question on the uh, the offering that was made in Cain Abel. Yeah, um, you had said that before. You know, the blood offering versus uh, was it Cain's offering that was a grain offering? Yeah. Okay, I, I looked that up, and it, it was a common thing uh, in the Jewish uh, history for grain offerings to be made. Mm-hmm. So, so I was just curious if that was a common thing. Why? Why is there a the theme that? Um, you know we're making a parallel between his 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 Good. offering was not blood offering
0: so if you read into the book of Leviticus where these things are outlined um and it's, it's very complex it's, it's frustrating sometimes but I would recommend to anybody who kind of wants to dive into the deep end there's a commentary by John Klein, who's Australian he's brilliant and he finds Christ in all of this uh, but he'll outline um first yes there are grain offerings made uh, by especially by the poor people Uh, who who wouldn't have otherwise uh, afforded um, meat. Uh, So when we talk about the grain offerings that were established in the book of Leviticus, uh, that's your daily allotment. In in other words, um, you were given by the the, um, theocracy, the the church and state together, a daily allotment of food. So that as you you went from place to place, because remember, Israel was founded when it was moving, um, you wouldn't starve. And, And so you could give a portion of this as a personal sacrifice, but even while you were, the atoning sacrifices were made by the priest on behalf of all of the people. And that was the lamb, uh, chiefly done on Yom Kippur, uh, the lamb with well, blemish or spot that was uh, sent out into the wilderness while the other one was, was slain upon the altar. Um, and, and so uh, inside of this then, we, we we can also go too far, uh, for example, uh, with, with Cain and Abel and say, well, if God covered my sins, why would I tithe at church? Why would I give any time here? Why would I care at all about uh, my neighbor or my God? And we don't say that. We say the, the, the atoning sacrifice is the blood that covers sin. And now that you are atoned, you are free to serve your neighbor. You are free to actually love your God and, and pay homage. Um, that when we, when we gather around his gifts, um, when you sing hymns in church, that is an offering. That is a spiritual offering before the Lord. What you do right there is you sing a sermon to somebody in, in the pews with you who's having an awful day, an awful week, and you point to them, hope. That, that's a joyful thing. Um, the grain offerings are, are a, a common part of um, Israel's uh, life, but they are by no means a replacement for the blood that's that shed. It's sort of an extra thing being done. Um, when you reject the blood being shed for the extra stuff is where you get into all kinds of trouble. Uh, you could also go to like Nadab and Abihu, which were Aaron's sons, who wanted them to burn um, incense that was not authorized in addition to the sacrifice, and God killed them on the spot. Um, what they want to do is, again, they want to bring themselves into the worship service. Um, And and that that was never what it was about. This is why God always prescribed and then gave that which was first to be given back. So where did they get the lambs that were sacrificed? Well, God that provides. Um, And it was actually made even more clear than in the grain offerings, because where did the grain come? That came specifically from the theocracy that the church and state combined in Israel at, at this time. God literally said, here's some grain. If you give me some back, we're cool. And I'll give you more tomorrow, so don't worry. You won't run out.
1: So if Cain would have gone out and shot, I mean, whatever, killed a deer and bought God would have been pleased? Or, was or even just taken part in Abel's. Like,
0: that's the, the most wonderful thing, is that it's never been what you sacrifice to God. There, there, as long as there's been a sacrificial system, there's always been a sacrificer for the people. Cain could have taken part in Abel's sacrifice. In fact, that was how it should have been. They're a family, aren't they? Shouldn't they be together? They
1: were the family. Yeah.
0: Like that—that's—they that, that were the family. <laughs> um. I, so, so the the problem what we what we really had was that Kane said we're not going to do it this way. I want to do mine also. And instead, instead is what gets him in trouble. Does that kind of get after it, Kevin?
1: Yeah. I. I. Uh... I guess so. I guess what you're saying is corporate wise, it was a blood offering. But yes. if, you, if you were a farmer and that was the best you had, you brought it to the to the, the to the temple. But the uh, but the priest actually did the blood offering. Is that what you're saying that?
0: Yeah, what I'm saying is, even if you were a farmer that couldn't or even if you just you were you were um, a, a pauper, if you had nothing, the priests were still making sacrifice on behalf of all the people. Yeah. You didn't have to bring anything. It was being done for you. That was done apart from what you could give. If you had nothing else to give for, for your individual offerings, um, then that was out of the grain that was a first given to you. Um, but, but inside of this, again, what you have is a God who, um, who provides that which he demands and then rewards you for doing it, just for being made a part of it. Anybody else got questions? Remember, you got to unmute if you are on Zoom. Feel free, hop in anytime and interrupt. All right, we're at paragraph 189. Secondly, under this commandment, not only is he guilty who does evil to his neighbor, but he also who can do him good, prevent, resist evil, defend and save him so that no bodily harm hurt or happen to him and yet does not do it. So it's not then just love your neighbor by not killing them while they starve in the street. Love your neighbor by actually loving your neighbor, helping your neighbor. If you can help and you don't, is that sin? Yes. Like just a flat answer, yes. And then remember the chief use that, that God would have a see inside of the Ten Commandments. The chief thing that God would do out of the Ten Commandments is he would show us that we're sinners. He would show us that we actually need help. The problem always comes when we sort of want to dictate to God a better use for the law than to show us that we need Jesus. When we want to give God a better use for the Ten Commandments than showing us that we need Jesus, we need to minimize the commandments so that we can do them. And so I want to say the fifth commandment, you shall not murder, really just means no stabbing. Um, I don't care about my neighbor. I just, I'm not going to stab him, and that's, that's, I, I, that's pretty good. Give me some credit. Um, but instead, if we actually see it, uh, we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor and his body, but help and support him in every physical need then I got a real pickle here, don't I? Because I got all these people around me that I I haven't helped. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? You can't help
1: everybody.
0: That's the whole point of the law. Like, you can't help everybody. You're not excused for not being able to help everybody. You're shown, I can't save myself. I need help. And that's why the Decalogue isn't left alone by itself. The Decalogue is given with the creed, the the Lord's Prayer and the Catechism, to, to Um, sort of carry us through the scriptures to say the law kills, the spirit makes alive. The law shows us our sin, the gospel shows us our savior. Um, If if the very best thing that you can say is, well, if God would never give me a commandment to do uh, that that I couldn't actually do, he wouldn't definitely say be perfect in Matthew, but he does. Uh, He he definitely wouldn't um, come back at the Pharisees for the fifth commandment in uh, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount and say, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but if you have hate towards your neighbor in his heart. You've already committed murder in your heart. You're guilty. The point of the law is to show us that you are not God because the Ten Commandments are a better reflection of God than they are of you because they're his rules. The Ten Commandments paint a picture of what God likes, what God is. If you are a perfect representation of your God, your God is not impressive. Like, honestly, if, if you could figure out everything there was about God by looking at me, God would be pretty boring. God would be awful. God could not do much at all i wouldn't because like honestly what do you need me for you can i'm not joking like me as a human being my, my flaws outweigh anything that i bring to the table but that god has promised to work good through me is the only reason i'm worth having around at all that's why you give me a new first name here it, it, my first name to y'all is pastor because I, I mean that side of the table can tell you all of the problems with Harrison. Harrison's not a great shape. He, he's an awful sinner. And so God gives these names. Um, they have a special name for me because Harrison's that kind of sinner. Their special name for me is Dad. Dad is such a powerful name because it confesses God is going to work good through you. So much so that I don't need to deal with you based on your identity, but by the promises God wants to work. Dad is a God-given gift. Not everybody gets to call me Dad. Those two. Not everybody gets to call me Pastor. Y'all. Because these are the people that God has promised to work for. These identities. Because otherwise, yeah, if you're just going to do it based on me, I am a poor representation of my faith. The law shows us our sin. You kind of with me?
1: In that paragraph, then, like when I drive by the panhandlers yep. up on the highway,
0: sinner. But. It gets tricky too. How
1: do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, because you hear stories about fanhandlers that rake in a lot of money that they do, and that they uh-huh. waste it on
0: cigarettes and alcohol. See, and, and so um, the the thing they taught me in seminary to deal with this, because Jesus doesn't say, um, "Take care of the poor as long as they make good choices." He actually says care for the needy. Um, the thing they taught us to do is when somebody comes to you and they got their, their sob story, I, I you know, my, my car broke down, I need gas, I'm trying to get across the country because my mom's dying in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You skip over the money part and you offer them the thing that they're actually asking for. And all the things disappear real
1: quick. a bottle of wine?
0: No. <laughs> That's the whole point. Like, if I don't know what you're going to do with it, I'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. to hear that. Can we pray for your moms first? And then can I fill up your gas tank for you?
1: You got a card that tells us when to go to the Haven for Hope.
0: Same thing. Uh, I'm I'm starving. Can you give me some money for food? I was like, no, but can we pray, and I'll go buy you a hamburger. And all the stories go away real quick. Like if, if they're just after a fix, they'll they'll tell you. Or if they said it'll work for food. You say, get in. <laughs> and then there's
1: another line too, right? Where mm. you know I know it's still when you're not helping your you know sinner, but it's it's different when like you're driving somewhere by yourself and you can. Yeah, and when that I, was where I was going to go myself, with it them and you know, I, I don't stop like I'm not going to stop for somebody on the street
0: so and that's I, I'm going to say here's this is one of those places where you're going to sin no matter what you do so protect your vocation mm-hmm. um so let, let me pre- like when we were in Nebraska and it was just me I would stop for hitchhikers um because it's Nebraska it's it's, it's a different thing San Antonio I probably wouldn't um mm-hmm. Nebraska is a different place but when I had my kids in the car no
1: what about Alabama
0: I've never been there <laughs>
1: No, don't stop for right. him.
0: All right, thanks for the advice. Um, when when we talk about this, though, well, I wouldn't stop for hitchhikers with my kids in the car because my first my first calling is not to that person. My first calling is to them. I, I'm not saying that it's it's excused and it's not a sin. I'm saying I would gladly sin to keep my kids safe and then bank on grace. When Luther says, "Sin that grace may abound," or I mean, excuse me, um, sin boldly. Because Paul says, shall we sin that grace may abound by no means? Luther said, if you must sin, sin boldly. That, that's hold them both. Shall we sin just to get forgiveness? In other words, if God's going to forgive me, I might as well do whatever I want. By no means. However, if you are placed in a position where you are no win, there's nothing I can do that's not sinful, go baptized. Not based on the fact that I had a good excuse. The reason I passed by a hitchhiker when I had my family in the car was that it's my first job to keep them safe. And I'm not going to blink at that because my sins are forgiven in Jesus. Not picking that guy up isn't a good thing. It was a bad thing. It was a sin that Jesus died for. I'm going to go bold on the forgiveness of sins because I would rather be a sinner that takes care of my family than somebody who says, well, I'm pretty sure I did all the right things, so God should give me credit whether or not something bad happens to them.
1: What if that guy's a mass murderer?
0: That's exactly my point. I don't know. And so if I'm going to have so to... maybe it's
1: not a sin you love
0: Your neighbor. It doesn't say your neighbor who's a good person. It just says your neighbor. Your everybody who wants to kill you? If your neighbor demands your cloak, give him your tunic also. So again, if, if you're going to do this based on the fact that you're not a sinner, there's nobody you can help. I'm not calling it a good thing. I, I'm not. Like, I'm not trying to, to, to say it, it's, it's a, but if you're only willing to help your neighbor who's not a sinner, you don't have to help anybody. What, what line are you going to draw so that's a real sin, not worth helping? No, we're, we're simply going to say, there are places where you can enable somebody to sin worse, that's bad. So if you just give the guy on the street a 20 and say, well, I did my good part, and then he went and shot up and hurt himself worse, you didn't help your neighbor, even if you made yourself feel better while you did it. You didn't.
1: It's pretty tricky
0: It is. The law makes sinners of us all. And that's a good thing, that it drives us toward Christ. We can go through this thing and actually say then, um, the point of the fifth commandment is not what, how do you maneuver this so you don't have to call yourself a sinner. The point of this is first, God loves you and doesn't want you hurt. And God loves your neighbor and wants to see them taken care of too. Instead of saying, how can I fulfill this? Say, what does God actually desire out of this? He desires your life to be kept safe and your neighbor's life too. And then you can say, I'm not I'm not going to be able to do this. God's going to have to figure it out. He might use you for to help your neighbor. Thanks be to God. And he might use you for part of it to take the life. We talked about the soldiers. It is a godly act when a soldier defends his country. It is a godly act when policemen go out and, and do their job, even if they have to take a life to do it. That's the place where God actually works to keep us safe through vocation. Uh, he, he, he takes hold of somebody and he actually serves their neighbor for them. And then again, you set aside sort of the crass, did I do enough to say that I'm righteous? And you set aside that and say, "I'm righteous because of Christ." That's the only way I'm going to be righteous. And then just drive to the fact that God actually wants everybody taken care of. How can we? How can we always see that? Are you kind of with me on that nuance? Can
1: we drive around and just kind of water and go to water.
0: Like honestly, um, I keep in my trunk a, a big bag full of beef jerky and clean socks, um, and, and they're in little Walmart bags. Uh, like if, if you put on clean socks at the end of the day, it's, it's a nice feeling. Just, I, I'm just saying. Uh, in Nebraska, is a bigger deal because it's cold too. You can double them up. But yeah, um, I, 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 that, thanks, doing that. Adrian, go for it. Oh,
1: okay. Um, but and like I get what you're saying, but won't won't God like? I mean, isn't that why He gave us discernment and consciousness? So if I'm out driving around, and let's say I don't have the kids right. in the car. And let's say I'm with Adolfo. But okay. God's not pressing on me to stop because there might be danger. Right? Like God. something in my heart is saying, "Keep going." That's this is not good. Doesn't go oh,
0: oh. oh, does be-
1: Like
0: honestly, lean harder on God's grace than on your need to justify it. And then you can say, "Look, that wasn't a safe way to help my neighbor." Because honestly, if something awful happened to me, Aww. even with with Adolfo there, I have a family that I'm supposed to be taken care of. And if I can't come home and take care of my family, this was not good. No, no matter whether or not I can say I did the right thing. God wants everybody taken care of. So he's giving you some people to love more than others. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, we do this too with um, every time there's sort of like a feed the third world country thing. Whenever they want to sort of raise money for that. Why do they have to put a picture of children? Sure. Why?
1: Children are innocent. Makes you get to
0: Because it, it gets to you. Otherwise, I don't forget. I don't care that much. If I see a picture of a kid, though, I'll care a little bit more. But at the same time, whose kid do I love more? My kid or that kid? Your kid. And I should. I'm not saying that kid doesn't matter. But I'm saying God gave me first and foremost this kid to take care of, and then after that, that kid to take care of. So I, along the way, um, I'm going to make sure mine are taken care of. Calling myself a sinner every day, knowing Jesus died for me. The point of the fifth commandment is, this is what you do to make God love you. No. The point of the fifth commandment is, God loves life and he wants to see it cared for. It. And you sinners, Jesus will die for you. The law shows us our sin.
1: Why do you wait so long to give us the gospel? Huh? Why do you wait so long? You like...
0: <laughs> wait till, like in a sermon? It's a 10-minute no thing. Time.
1: We've been doing it the whole time.
0: We're in the fifth commandment. we gotta we got to itch through this. I know, but... Gospel. Wait. I'll wait till baptism. We're going to talk nothing but gospel for about a part, about a year. As soon as we get the creed, because it goes creed, prayer, baptism, communion. We're just it's 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 front heavy. I know, it's it's rough in the large catechism. Once we get through the Ten Commandments, it's like all gospel on out. All right. All right. So we're we're coming into this. So as Christians, because remember the large catechism is given to those who already know. It's not given to the new people. It's given to the people who have been through the small catechism. You know the gospel. And so we can actually start to double down on the law enough to try and learn something. Because if, if you're right, if, if this is just going to be the entirety of your Christian faith, here's nothing but the law and nothing but the law, that's awful. Nobody should nobody should be subjected to that. Um, we, we know the gospel, though. We, we know where we go, we go baptized. So when we actually start then to deal with these things that we wrestle with in our life, like I kind of feel bad about driving by these homeless people, but I want to try and figure out where, where to put this thing because I've been there. The fifth commandment's helpful. I can simply say, first and foremost, Jesus had to die for me. I want to go there. Second, God loves that person and wants them taken care of, but he's got ways to do it. And sometimes that way is you, and sometimes that you are not the best way to do that. Be forgiven. Don't justify yourself. Just be forgiven. Are you all with me on this? All right. Did I tell you the time when uh, my son was born on a Sunday morning? I told you that. Yes. Sometimes- Sometimes you just can't help but sinning. I, I, for if you weren't here, um, the, the short of it is, uh, when, when Zeke was born, I was a clergy uh, in rural Nebraska, and we were a 30-minute drive from the hospital. Um, and so I looked up to God, and I said, God, we, we got a deal here. I'm your, I'm your guy in, in very rural Nebraska. So any day but Sunday, and and it's fine, but not Sunday. Don't let him be born on Sunday. And God started laughing. Sunday <laughs> uh, and, and Sunday morning, Lisa's water broke. And so I either had to skip church or make her drive herself 30 miles in the middle of nowhere to the hospital. I sinned boldly. I skipped church. I went with my wife. I don't regret it. I'm also not just because I broke the third commandment. I'm forgiven. I'm baptized. And I would do it again every single day for the rest of my life because I don't need the excuse. I already have the baptism. Y'all with me? 190. If therefore you send away one that is naked when you could clothe him, you have caused him to freeze to death. If you see one hunger and do not give him food, you have caused him to starve. So also if you see anyone innocently sentenced to death or in life distress and do not save him, although you know ways and means to do so, you have killed him. And if it will not avail you to make the pretext that you did not afford any help, counsel, aid, or thereto, for you have withheld your love from him and deprived him of the benefit whereby his life would have been saved. Um, Again, just recognize, yes, I'm a sinner because of this this commandment, obviously. But what I really see, though, the gift, God loves my neighbor so much that he would see his life protected. That's where the, the cool part of the fifth commandment comes. God actually cares about life. 191. Therefore, God also rightly calls all those murderers who do not afford counsel and help for those in distress and danger of body and life and will pass a most terrible sentence upon them on the last days. Christ himself is announced when he'll say in Matthew chapter 25, I was hungered and he gave me no means. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger and he took me not in naked and he clothed me not sick and in prison and he visited me not. Um, that is... You would have suffered me and mine to die of hunger, thirst, and cold. You would have suffered the wild beast to tear us to pieces or left us to rot in prison and perish in distress. What else is that but a reproach to them as murderers and bloodhounds? For although you have not actually done this, you have nevertheless, so far as you were concerned, suffered him to pine and perish in misfortune. In in other words, there's fault to go around. But just what if you loved your neighbor as much as God loved them? Start with the idea that God loves them that much. Thanks be to God that if nobody else cares about me one bit, God still loves me so much that he wouldn't have anybody ignore me. That's awesome. It is just as if I saw someone navigating and laboring in deep water and struggling against adverse riddance or fallen into fire and could extend to him the hand and pull him out to save him yet refuse to do it. What else would I appear even in the eyes of the world than as a murderer and a criminal? This is something that we're actually taking a lot of heat for right now. Um, So you guys have seen the, the whole, your prayers don't matter thing. So whenever something bad happens, Christians say, what, I'll, I'll pray for you. So if you see somebody drowning right in front of you and you say, oh, that looks awful. I'll pray for you. That's sin. I'm not saying don't pray for your neighbor. I'm saying you could probably do both, like pray for them and help them. And so, um, this is, this is actually a fair chance for us to reflect. Are you saying I'll pray for you mostly because I don't really want to do anything else for you? If that's the case. How, this is how I'll shut down the conversation that's awkward and I'll move it along to something else. Um, it, that's not good. You're actually called to love your neighbor. If you want to pray, why don't you pray with them? Anyway, like if somebody comes to you and, and says like, you know, even if it's something you can't do anything about, my, my, my mom has cancer. Uh, mine's fine. Thanks be to God. just um, such, oh, I'll pray for you and I don't know what else to say. So like, this is how I'm shutting down this conversation and changing. Just, well, let's pray right now. Well, let's pray right now. Lord God, Heavenly Father. We've taught college for a year before, right? You know that four parts to make a really fancy sound in prayer. The, the four-part call. You address God. You go to a Bible story. And you think of something he's done that has something to do with what you want. You ask, and then you in the name of the Triangle God. It's this inside baseball thing they teach us in seminary. It's how I got over the fear of praying in front of people. And all of a sudden, you can put together a prayer that sounds really impressive, godly. But it's also rooted in God's word and directed towards something. So my mom has cancer. All right, so, um, oh, Lord God, your father in heaven, um, with the word, your son healed the sick. So also heal my mother for you live and reign with the son and the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden you're not stumbling over your words. You're running right to God's word for comfort. You're actually directing people towards where help is in God. And you know, you're doing it the right way because this is how God has done. It. And then you rejoice. Then if there's something I can do for your mom, can I bring her some soup? Like, I can't can't cure cancer, but can I do something? Thanks be to God. Then you can set aside the notion of having to fix the whole world yourself. You can love your neighbor inside of it, inside of your vocation. And you can celebrate the fact that God is working through all of your neighbors to take care of that. That's the wonderful thing about cancer. Um, Your doctor, uh, your oncologist. um, Well, let's go to my, my mom. My mom is fine. Don't tell her I'm giving her cancer in this example. She's mad at me a lot already. Um, So who loves loves my mom more, me or the doctor? Me. Should I be the one trying to figure out the medicine just because I love her more? No. What's wonderful is that even though he doesn't have to love her that way, he's been given the gift by God to care for her in his vocation, and I've been given the gift by God to care for her in mine. I don't have to do all things for all people. I can rejoice that God has worked all people towards this goal of life in the fifth commandment. And so, his fulfillment of the fifth commandment is dealing with chemotherapy, is literally pumping poison into people to cure them of their disease. I can't do that. But I can maybe drive her to the doctor, take her out for ice cream after, both are inside of the fifth commandment because they celebrate life. And here I'll say, was I perfect? I didn't need to be. God is perfect. God is forgiven. God is merciful. And along the way, we can pray toward that God and find comfort. Are you guys kind of with me in this? Questions or comments? All right. uh, I want to, yeah, we're totally going to finish the commandment tonight. 193. Therefore, it is God's ultimate purpose that we suffer harm befall no man, but show him all good and love. That's just what we said. God doesn't want to see people hurt. He wants to see them cared for. And so he sets up a system that everybody would come together and, and deal with this inside of their own vocations and means. And as we have said, it is specially directed toward those who are enemies. For to do good to our friends is but an ordinary heathen virtue, as Christ says in Matthew chapter 5. In other words, the fifth commandment doesn't have to be talked about when you're happy with the people in front of you. So, should you love the ax murderer? Actually, yeah, that's what we're saying right now. It's frustrating, I know. It's it's really easy to love the people who who are nice to you. It's really, really hard to love your enemies. But we can point out, you don't actually need to be a Christian to love the people who are nice to you. You need to be a Christian to find mercy for those who you hate. And then you can sort of put your own heart inside of this and say, I I don't know how I can get close to you safely because you're an ax murderer, and I don't want to get murdered by an ax. But you can also say, "Um, even though I'm having trouble with you here, and I'm having trouble with you in, in all practicality, God loves you. I'm going to start with that simple truth. God loves all, even the sinners, which is good news for me. Because I can say, well, at least I'm not an axe murderer, but there's plenty of people with bad things to say about me all the same. I don't want to be judged based on those things. I want to be judged based on Christ. We're not talking about, then, the fifth commandment in terms of people who have made you happy. I need to remember, thou shalt not murder when I'm mad at somebody, not when I'm happy at somebody. So, Especially then for them. Y'all with me? It
1: was my mom's 81st birthday. I tell her happy birthday before she went to bed.
0: Happy birthday! A
1: couple hours ahead of
0: us. You did did the fourth commandment, said That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, 195. Uh, Here again, this is an important paragraph. Here again, we have uh, the word of God whereby he would encourage and urge us to true, noble, and sublime works his gentleness, patience, and in short, love and kindness to our enemies and would ever remind us to reflect upon the first commandment that he is our God. That is he will help assist and protect us in order that he may thus quench the desire of revenge in us. What Luther says um, inside of this, um, especially here as he calls us to go back to the first commandment is he sort of points out, you know this, this this desire for vengeance that you have in your heart, this, this anger that the fester? Yeah, I know too. Um, what this ultimately comes down to is a want to be God. I want to be the one who punishes the evil. I want to be the one, because I'm not sure that you're going to do it right, God, so I better do it. because I'm. Well,
1: sometimes you think God needs a little help.
0: Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the first commandment, I'm saying. If I think God needs a little help, what I'm saying is I'm better at his job than him. And if you would just let me do it, the world would be better. Um, this is a first commandment issue that God actually wants to be not only loving to you, but merciful to all. And so if we would actually reflect upon the first commandment, that he is our God, that he will help assist and protect us, we can say, God, I very much want to see harm come to them, so do it. That's the impeccatory psalms. Like, we don't talk about them in church near as much as we should, uh, but but there is a psalm that is... uh, Blessed be the man who takes the heads of my enemies' infants and dashes them against the rocks, which is not sort of Jesus and the Good Shepherd image that we sort of talk about. With yeah, we, we, there may be a reason to make the lectionary, um, but this is this is actually um, what we say ultimately is that God, if you're going to protect us, you do your job. When you harbor hating here and you want to you want to exercise this, it's basically saying, God, I don't trust you enough to punish them, so I'm going to be the one to do it. The problem is, not only have you sort of said, God, I don't trust you to do your job, but you've already lost the place where he did his job. Where were my enemy's sins punished? What's really cool, the reason I like big dead Jesus up there is because sometimes I need to see them hurt for it. Like just the two pieces of wood, I'm like, all right, that's Christianity, that's great. You can actually see the nail driven through the people who made me lose sleep. I can say, all right, God did punish him. I can see, I can see right there. The reason that we actually uh, uphold this imagery it is to remind us that, that sins were literally punished. My sins, when I feel guilty and ashamed and I say, that, somebody had a, that's awful, how can I look at myself in the mirror? I can say, look, at, look, it was paid for. It cost that much and it was paid. And when I can't for the life of me sleep because I'm so angry at somebody else, I can still look up at my big dead Jesus and I can say, that's where theirs were paid for. I don't need vengeance anymore. It was already, it was already paid out in full. And God is better at his job than I am, because I wouldn't have thought to do that. I wouldn't have thought to find a way to be merciful and just at the same time. We can sort of waffle between the two. And so I can be merciful to the people I like and just to the people I don't. But God manages both for all. This is, this is why when we, when we harbor hatred in our heart, the sin breaks stuff, even if you never actually pull a trigger or raise a fist. Because ultimately, it starts to pull you away from the God who would actually want to see mercy done. And it starts to pull you away from God in a trusting issue, because you're pretty sure he won't do his job himself. And so you need to sort of be the guy who teaches God how to be a better God. That's not a good place to be in as a Christian in the long term. Fair enough? What do you guys think? Y'all with me out there? Commend it to God. And, and, and then we talk about the desire of revenge is quenched. That means that, that when you're harmed, when you're hurt, anger is easier to feel than pain. That's why so many of us switch over there. It's way easier to feel anger than pain. And so we'll just flip it right over. Because anger you can control. Pain you just have to endure. <clears throat> and so we'll switch that over. We'll feel angry. How do we quench that?
1: why liberals are always so angry.
0: If there's no justification, I mean, it, it might have something to do with it. At the same time, though, I mean, you can find the Warhawks on the, the other side of the aisle, too. They just, they want to see everything punished. That was where the fundamentalists came. Um, so uh, the, the, the idea that um, if we if we make everything sinful illegal, nobody else will sin anymore, right? It's worked great with, like, gun control. That's why, yeah. Um, as it turns out, no, you, you can't actually regulate those kinds of things. Sinners are going to sin. What we have to ultimately do is set up laws to protect the community, to build safety. Um... Inside of this, if the whole point of your system is to see the people you don't like punished. That's not good government. Be it on either side of the aisle. If there's a justification in the center of it, though, it makes it a lot easier to sort of parse these things. And so when we come into this, um, we can grab hold of these issues. And I can say, you know, first and foremost, Jesus died for you. But second, how can we build a safe community. I don't need to see you hurt. I want to see our society uplifted. That kind of makes sense. All right, let's do uh, 196. This we ought to practice and inculcate. that we'd have our hands full of doing good works. But this would not be preaching for monks. It would greatly detract from the religious state and would infringe upon the sanctity of the Carthusians, and would even be regarded as forbidding good works and clearing the convents or in this wise and ordinary state of Christians would be considered just as worthy, even worthier than everybody would see how they mock and delude the world with a false hypocritical show of holiness, because they have given this and the other commandments to the winds, and have esteemed them unnecessary, as though they were not commandments, but mere counsels, and have at the same time shamelessly proclaimed and boasted of their hypocritical estate and works as the most perfect life, in order they may like, lead a pleasant, easy life without the cross, Without patience, for which reason, too, they have resorted to the cloisters, so that they might not be obligated to suffer, or obliged, excuse me, to suffer any wrong from anyone or do him any good. So we go to the Carthusians, which was a, a religious order that sort of um, picked up the, the piety to the extreme. They're the ones who would, like, beat themselves with, with ropes and pray umpteen times a day, every hour on the hour. Uh, it was very, very showy. But the problem with the monastery wasn't the prey. It was what you were abandoning to pray. It's good to pray. God commands you to pray. But if I say, for example, God gave me those three people over there to care, and I'm like, yeah, but sometimes, man, I don't know if I want to go home Um, because they're going to be yelling. There's there's, there's mass, there's fight. there's all these. You know what? I'm going to go and uh, just pray because that's easier. That's an abandonment. Even if I'm doing it for holy reasons. And that's what was happening in a lot of the monasteries at Luther's time. Men were literally leaving their families behind just so they could pray. And it's good to pray, but God is giving you people to love right here. You want to talk about where a where, uh, um, uh, uh, Christian life actually meets something laudable. It's not in finding a way to say, look at the things I have done, reward me. It's a way to say, God loves me and loves these people around me and wants to see us knit together for something good. The commandments give shape and color to this. Not a way to build your own righteousness, but the shape and color to actually love the people in front of you. And so those who would then invent all these extra things that they have done to say, look how righteous I am. They've made a game out of the Ten Commandments that were supposed to be about love. They turned selfish, that which was supposed to be about neighbor.
1: They
0: they pervert the whole thing. And just like with the, the blood and the sacrifices, the devil's always sort of twisting it opposite of how it ought to be and saying, good, just go down that road. the whole point of these commandments is how you can impress God you're doing them wrong you guys with me questions comments we are at 198 sorry I read a little fast that but now but excuse me no now these are the true holy and godly works in which with all the angels he rejoices in comparison with all the human holiness which is but stench and filth and besides, deserves nothing but wrath and damnation. I like Luther. He's, he's honest about it. All right, let's do the sixth. You guys have any questions on the fifth commandment before we close down? Uh, We've got some time to start the sixth commandment. All right, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, by our small catechism, I'm going to go to the old translation because it's way better than the new one. Uh, the, the new translation is we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor yourself which is, is well-meaning um but it it tried to dodge a word that fell out of favor the the better translation the older one is uh it, most of you guys are raised on this they, they changed it in like 1984 uh but as we should fear and love god so that we lead a chaste and decent life in what we say and do and husband and wife love and honor each other we got rid of that word chase because we think nobody knows what it means outside of jokes about iron underwear um and and chastity. Chastity. yeah, chastity. That's, that's the same root word, though. chaste and chastity are the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah chastity belt. chaste. Chaste is, is sort of the guiding word for the sixth commandment. though. if you actually want to understand where Luther is going to go with it, chaste is a really simple concept. Sexually pure is a, a difficult concept, even at grownups, um, let alone the kids who are actually struggling with it. Because the, the reason this one needs to be welped so hard is because of young people. Um, so chaste, though, I can teach to them. Chaste is this. What if God wanted you to someday have a healthy, happy marriage? And there were things that you could do that would help that, and that's chaste. And there are things that you can do that either now or one day later will make it harder for you to have a healthy, happy marriage. And those things you shouldn't do because they'll make it harder for you either now or later to have a healthy, happy marriage. Chastity. And then you can go into as much detail as is warranted by the age in front of you. But even to to my my eight-year-old son, I can say... We, we need to learn that um, when we talk to talk to women and talk about women, we're supposed to protect. We're supposed to take care of. It doesn't mean they're weaker. That doesn't mean they're not capable. It just means God actually gave you to take care of other people. That's why this is what it is to be a man. We can start talking about that later. They get a little bit older. We can start talking about websites and what you should and shouldn't be on because it actually changes the chemistry in your brain and it teaches you to look at a gift as an object. And that even if you're not married yet, will make it harder to have a happy, healthy marriage someday because you see conquest. And after it's conquered, then what? We can go to when you're actually married, and we can actually fill in even more. There are things that will maintain your healthy, happy marriage, and there are things that are going to hurt your healthy, happy marriage. Talking about chastity is a wonderful thing, and when you diminish it to, to iron underwear, you, you lose the whole point. But we, we sort of lost the word, so we think you're sexually pure. But the problem with uh, a sexually pure life is that... Um, First of all, it's words that make everybody who actually needs to hear it blush because they're not ready to talk about it yet. And and it doesn't actually give any real shape to the future of it. It it drags it all into the self. Chastity is a useful word. Um, And I know this because as soon as we start this commandment, we're going to start talking about um, unchastity. Uh, We're going to actually start to talk about what it is that would destroy. Are you guys kind of with me so far? Questions or comments? All right, let's do it. Paragraph 200. These commandments now that follow are easily understood from the explanation of the preceding, for they are all to the effect that we be careful to avoid doing any kind of injury to our neighbor. They are arranged in a fine, elegant order. In the first place, they treat of his own person. Then they proceed to the person nearest him. Or the closest possession next after his body, namely his wife, who is one flesh and blood with him, so that we cannot inflict a higher injury upon him uh, and any good that is his. Therefore it is explicitly forbidden here to bring any disgrace upon him in respect to his wife. You see the the brackets there, that's the Latin. Um the Latin translation always gets a little wordier than the German. Um and and so those were, were put into to Latin. Um, when you see brackets in this book, uh, it, it was, it was, uh, from the Latin translation that was added in, but when we, we see how God would build in the first commandment, he talks about who God is in the second commandment, he talks about what God's like in the third commandment, he talks about where God is second table, how we deal with our neighbor. First, this is where you came from. This is how all order is introduced. You have a family on your father and mother. Now you have a body. God wants to take care of it. Now you have the thing that's very next closest to your body. You're one flesh, not just in a crass way, but in a you're actually a family kind of way. And so the, the way you would hurt me the most, honestly, I mean, I guess you could shoot me, in, theoretically. I mean, Jesus will raise me. But you want to cause me the most pain? Right there. You want me to stop being pastor and start being Harrison again? I'll be a husband before I'm a pastor any day of the week. It's, it's mine to do. This is, this is a God-given gift to me, my wife. Um, and so where you see a lot of harm come in is when marriage starts to rip up. That's why we talk about divorces as simple, not because we want to kick people out, but because we want to actually recognize there's trauma that's been done. This is one of the most painful things that can happen to a person. Is If it's one flesh, you have one body, and divorce is a ripping that in half. I'm not saying God can't heal that. God heals that. But if we're going to ignore the pain that's brought there, we can have a whole bunch of people guarding and hiding a whole bunch of scar. And God actually wants to speak peace to that. So when we talk about these things, again, we're we're talking about how we can build and maintain healthy, happy marriages. And sometimes that even means just actually confronting the fact that you've been through one that didn't go that well, and you need to find peace and forgiveness and mercy in that so that the next one has a chance. That's a gift, that God would actually work forgiveness here in such a way that always we're driving towards the healthy, happy marriage of the day. Rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. You guys kind of with me? 201. It really aims at adultery because among the Jews, it was ordained and commanded that everyone must be married. Therefore, also the young were early provided for married so that the virgin state was held in small esteem. Neither were public prostitution and lewdness tolerated as now. Therefore, adultery was the most common form of unchastity among them. So in other words, um, when the Decalogue was given, you got married very, very young. And there was not sort of the crassness of society that we deal with. Also, Luther dealt with. Again, it's, it's very appealing to me to read Luther wine about all the same stuff we're going through. If God kept his church, when all of that was happening then, look what was happening when Luther wrote this. It's not different. It's not good, but God keeps his church. Just recognize what broke the most families. This. So we want to talk about it, because we don't want people hurting. Um, You guys kind of with me? 202. Because among us, there is such a shameful mess, the very dregs of all vice and lewdness, this commandment is directed also against all manner of unchastity, whatever it may be called. Um, I like the the sort of the, the language that he uses to describe it. But I also like how little detail he needs. Uh, Paul in Ephesians says, there's certain things that are not even to be named in them. Um, that he says, let no crudeness be um, out of your mouth. Um, that, that means that when you joke about a thing, that's how you become less scared of Like This is, this is why. It's, it's not that these words are, um, are, are just somehow offensive to God. Um, inside of an estate, they're, they're a blessed thing. There's a place where you're actually supposed to have an intimate relationship. And... You know what? There's a place where you're supposed to be crass and rude, and, and that, that's a, a, a gift. You have, you have that union with your wife. You're supposed to have fun there. That, that's okay. Um, where it happens to, to become a problem is where we grab hold of the language and we use it to belittle. Watch, when whenever we see something we don't like, we get scared of it, right? So how do we get less scared of it? We make fun of it. We laugh at it. When God actually says, "Thou shalt not," and He, he lays out a, both a chastity and an unchastity, and we say, "Yeah, that—that's an intimidating thing because it convicts me as a sinner. I'm going to make jokes about it, so I'm not so scared anymore." That's where those kinds of things shouldn't be named among us. And I say that just simply put, like if I learn more uh, about how birds and bees work on the public bus to and from school than I did for my parents or any classroom. And I learned it wrong on the bus because it was all dumb kids making dumb jokes. They had no idea what they're talking about. I just learned dirty words. That didn't help me. And that didn't help me look at women with respect. And that didn't help me one day have a healthy, happy marriage. That helped me have a whole lot of baggage that I'm still trying to process. Lord have mercy. Um, If instead, when we talk about this, we can say, look, there are things that are gonna make your life harder, your marriage harder. They're, They're unclean. And then let's just leave it there because if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to spoil it for you because like, why am I going to tell you about this thing that breaks stuff if you don't need to know about it? This is why chastity is a useful uh, way to talk about this stuff because you can even talk to it about uh, talk about it to children without ever going into any kind of detail. And so to, to my eight-year-old and my five, almost six-year-old, we can have talks about chastity, that, that one day it'd be great if you guys got married, not to each other because you're brother and sister. You can't do that. But if, when when you do get married, Zeke, it's your job to take care, of it. it's your job to protect, right, We talk about these things, and Zoe, it's your job to love, and it's your job to support, and it's your job to help, because you're going to be smarter than whoever marries you, it's just, it's going to be a gift and a curse, so use that for good, and not for selfishness. When we talk about chastity early on, we can paint pictures of marriage as a good thing, and here, our catechism actually gets it right, we're going to close at 2-0-wherever. Um, where are we? 202. 202 there it is. Uh, we'll come back to this. Uh, but, but just a, a kind of a going out note. Um, there are two commandments that, um, that in the small catechism, Luther only frames in terms of the positive. The first commandment, it's not we should fear and love God so that we do not, but do, which is how most of them work. Like, uh, we should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. It's like, don't do this, but do this. There's two that are only positive. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. You should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the sixth commandment, you should not commit adultery. This means that we should fear and love God so that we lead a chaste and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. That means that there are two foundational things that should actually be talked about as things of beauty, not just don't do these grocery lists of things. But for some reason, the church grabs hold of them both, and these are the ones we build the biggest lists of what not to do on, on both of them. So when we come to idolatry, we've got all these sort of lists of, well, is, is it a sin if you play with this thing? Is it a sin if you have a Buddha in your house? Is it a sin if this? God just simply says, look, God actually wants to be your God. Love him. And in the same way with the sixth commandment, the church has almost become an entirely just a, a grocery list of don't look at that. Don't think about this. Don't touch that. Don't just, just don't. When the whole time it was given as a gift, recognize you actually have a spouse. And if you don't, Maybe one day you will. Start with the fact that marriage is good, and then rejoice in that and try and protect that. I'm not saying that there's a free-for-all, but I'm saying that if you don't understand something as good, why would you ever try and defend it? Why would you ever try and protect it? How
1: how do they go from having a whole bunch of wives to just having one wife? Just all of a sudden, this guy's got all kinds of wives, and then all of a sudden, it's only one wife
0: um so when god first made us he didn't make us a whole bunch of wives he made us one uh, there was a time when it was allowed to have more than one but it never actually worked out all that well and people doing it if you notice it wouldn't match it, it it just didn't okay keep one. i so so here it is um and so when when god came in, uh when when jesus came into this um especially in the new testament um, what you really saw uh was in the intertestamental times and he kind of sealed it um you had the levirate marriages was where if um in a theocracy, the, the government was also the church. Um, if, if your brother died and there were no careers for women, you took care of it. Yeah.
1: That,
0: that was what it was given as. And in, as such, your life got harder. It wasn't supposed to be a bonus. It was your life got harder, but you're going to sacrifice for your neighbor. Um, people who tried to take advantage of this, like always went poorly for him. Solomon, like how did that work for him? David, how did that work for him? Um, which is why um, even as... A Abraham didn't work too well either. Poorly. Um, it never went well because it wasn't actually ever supposed to be what God allows and God puts up with is not the same thing as that which makes Him happy. And we know this because we've been parents too. What, what I'm willing to deal with for my kids is not always the same thing that makes me happy or what's best for them. It's just I'm not going to win this one and I am not going to throw you out of the house for this. So let's just try and find a way through it. Um, But what Paul tells Timothy, uh, the pastor should be husband of one wife. Because you're already going to have this mistress called the church already. Did it
1: change? Did it change? In the
0: intertestamental times, it, it sort of dropped off. When you saw, um, especially officially in the Great Commission, when the church and the state were no longer the same. So Jesus had gone to all nations and baptized them, which means officially, what has already been put in practice, officially curated. The government is the government, and the state. Is, this is the state, but the church is now the church. So before that, if you wanted to be a faithful person, you were Israel. You, you actually, you're a nationality change now. I can be an American and a Christian or a Canadian and a Christian, God forbid, or, or, or any other thing because my nationality and my, my, my faith are not the same. When the, the providing for is by government and the state, and the faith is of a different thing, that was that was the official line. So, fought the civil world really. That
1: was part of the I never knew that.
0: See, they didn't teach me that in school,
1: uh, they did all right. So, because, of, because they were afraid that was
0: going to destroy America and the Western people were... The Mormons.
1: Mormons were doing polygamy and they wanted to get rid of that. Huh. There was two. Right.
0: Slavery and polygamy. They're still not it. Yeah. All right, my, my going out point. I, I don't know what to say to that. Um, especially if we want to teach kids. Um, if, if your whole point of the Sixth Commandment is giving your whole bunch of kids a, a grocery list of things, don't do this, but also they're finding out that it's fun to do it, you're going to lose that fight if you actually start to teach them that marriage is a good thing, the only reason that it's worth defending, the only reason that it's worth abstaining from the things that, yes, are probably more fun, um, is because you're protecting something better. If we can actually uphold marriage as a good thing, it gets easier to talk about chastity. If marriage is a drag, if marriage is sort of losing it, if marriage is sort of the end of the fun, teaching the Sixth Commandment is impossible. So when Luther frames it, he frames it only in light of the positive, not because there is no negative, but because if you don't first and foremost understand marriage to be a good gift, <sighs> hey, kids, you know what sounds fun? Not doing all those things is going to be a core motivational speech. So first, we're going to start with marriage is good. Your spouse is a gift from God. You with me? Any questions out there? Thank you all for your time tonight. All right. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you, Butch.